know Kenny, not just because I don't have to preach, but uh, just the, the, the opportunity that we have before us today, Jeremy Henderson. I've known this guy for um, 18 years, which means we met when we were 10, <laughs> maybe 11, but uh, known um, him for such a, a long time and um, been such a, a great friend, served here uh, many, a few years back, uh, and uh, this is kind of a homecoming, I guess, is how it feels. But uh, as Kyle prayed earlier, Jeremy is um, ministering with our vice president, and I, I got your card so I can get this right, <laughs> vice president of missions, mobilization, and communications um, with GoToNations, um, helps train up missionaries, send out missionaries, um, and GoToNations, he'll probably tell you a little bit about that and, and what they're doing and what they're able to be a, a part of. But just so excited to have him this morning, to have his wife Sue, daughter Sophia, um, his son Josiah is missing in action. He's coming. Okay, he's coming. He'll, he'll be on his, his way as well. So, so excited to have them. So join me in helping uh, welcome Jeremy. I'm going to ask him to come and bring the Word of God to us this morning. Well, good morning. Good morning. Just to be clear... Uh, Josiah had to play drums this morning at another church, so that's why he's on his way, and we, and we will welcome him as he comes in. How about that? We'll make, we'll make a point to do that. And just like Pastor Micah said, thank you. Thank you, Pastor Micah and uh, Misty and just, uh, I mean, your whole family. Uh, thank you so much, our, our, our Ocean Way family. We're so excited to be here, and uh, it, is, it is such a blessing to come in and play with Kyle uh, I remember when Kyle was in my chapel leadership class at Providence School um, only three years ago, three or four years ago, something like that. Uh, so, but it really is like a homecoming, and to see all these familiar faces, smiling faces, and to see the joy of the Lord that is like unspeakable, and it's so nice, it's so good to see. So, uh, again, we're excited to be here. Yes, we are with GoToNations, and uh, if you haven't uh, seen a little bit about what we do, I want to invite you to check out our table in the back kind of when you're done. What we'd love to do is we'd love to get you signed up for our newsletter. And so we send out a regular digital publication and some print materials every year just to give people a heads up about what God is doing through our organization around the world. And listen, there are so many ways for you to have a part in what God is doing globally. There really are. There's so many missions organizations, so many great you know, missionaries that are doing awesome things. I just want to say this, if it's okay, Pastor Micah, do something. Just get involved, right? We've heard the analogy of you know, a, a moving car is easier to steer than a parked car. It's the same way. You know? Just do something. Get involved. And GoTo Nations is one of the things that God is doing around the world. So uh, feel free to pick up some information out there. We also are, are wanting and inviting people to come into partnership with us. If you want more information about that, you can pick up an invitation to partnership uh, card out there. It looks like that. But please see my wife, Susan. Susan, can you stand up and wave to everybody? Yay. <laughs> And Sophia, my daughter, she does, she does, it's okay. But you know, one of the things that really uh, honestly has motivated me to leave my job and to leave some of the comforts that I had been used to and step across the line of faith was this one quote by David Platt. How many have heard David Platt? Okay, probably have. 
Um, he was president of IMB. Uh, highly re- regard and respect him. And he had this one statement in the book Radical. It says this, All people are equally lost without Jesus, but all people do not have equal access to the message of saving faith through Jesus. And what that means is that my neighbor who you know, comes from Egypt and he doesn't know Christ and has a family that are, that are Muslim, let's just say, for hypotheticals, they don't know Jesus just like the boy in Tanzania who goes to a Muslim school who's never you know, seen someone who has been forgiven of their sins. Both of them are equally lost without Jesus. But here's the difference. Is that you know, my neighbor on his way to work will pass by 37 churches. Really. On his way to work every day. And in a place like Afghanistan where there are 48,000 mosques and zero churches. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what it's like to, I mean, really, again, never have even met someone that has been forgiven of their sins. Never have even met someone that knows the grace of Jesus. I mean, that's just completely blows my mind to think about that. And so, again, consider that we have access here that not everyone has. It's not like this everywhere around the world. And our goal is to see that changed. Okay, to see a difference there. We've probably heard of the 1040 window. Raise your hand if you've heard of the 1040 window and know a little bit about what it's about. Just, just for the sake of clarity, there's a, a window, you could say, in our world that exists right now where a majority of those who are unreached live. So right now there are about 6,671 unreached people groups that live in this part of the world. 40% of the people groups in the world, representing about 2.7 billion people that are still unreached, that don't have the light of the gospel, that that don't don't even have, like David Platt said, don't even have access to the gospel. And we want to see that change. So my vision, and our vision as a ministry family, is to raise up an army of Great Commission believers who radically reorient their lives to focus on the unreached and unengaged in the 1040 window. It's called being a mobilizer. That's what we are. So I'm the vice president of missions mobilization. All I want to do simply, quite clearly, is I want to take people who know Jesus, and I want to, like my daughter used to do when, I was, when, I, when she was a baby, she would grab my face and turn it toward her. Anybody have a child that did that? When they want to talk to you, so grab my face, and she's like, look, Daddy. I want to take the... Our faces. And I want to reorient them toward the lost. That's all we want to do is we want to say, look at the harvest. Look at the harvest. Do something about this. It's, it's God's call for each and every one of us. And so, you know, think about this. So there's a, a fact I want to throw out there this morning. So those that study missions uh, have estimated that we need about 35,000 more missionaries in order to reach the remaining unreached places of the world. 35,000 missionaries. You know what? How many are here this morning? We have like 875. And so right here, evangelistically speaking. Okay, so we can take a chunk of them right here, okay? So here's the story is that a majority of missionaries, though, honestly, a majority of the church is shifting south. 
So we used to think that North America was, was the mission-sending force, and it really still is. However, what we're seeing around the world is that places like Brazil, Brazil is becoming like this mission-sending force in the earth, and it's awesome. And so here's what we do, is that we work, and I work, with emerging Christian nations around the world. You know, places like Brazil, places like Tanzania, Places like Ukraine. And what we do is we help to train churches to be a mission-sending force in their own right. And so I remember it was, it was so cool. Um, you can throw up the next slide. I remember being with this gentleman in a small village church about half the size. It was, you know, tarps all around. And I remember speaking to, to him and he said, you know what? He said, Pastor Jeremy, I've never heard this before. I've never heard that we are supposed to be sending missionaries. We've been receiving missionary efforts for hundreds of years now, a couple of hundred years, but we, we don't understand that we're supposed to be sending missionaries in our own selves, in our own nation, sending them out into the world. I would love to see Tanzanian believers raised up to reach dark Europe. I would love to see that happen. And so these are the things that God is doing. So what my mission is, is to, is to simply mobilize the unsent. That's what we're doing. And so, for instance, I, I got back from Ukraine, which I'll be going to later on this year. Got back from Ukraine and went early on. I made a poor decision, just to be honest with you. My poor decision was to go to this snow-filled area in January. I'm like, I'm from Florida, and so... It was a little bit different. I remember, you know, speaking in churches and I could see my breath and everyone there is wrapped up tight. And I'm like, this is really unusual. This is totally out of my comfort zone. And it was like that. It was snow everywhere. It was beautiful. I just want to leave this picture up for just a second, just so that we can take it in right now in August, just, just to kind of think about what, what it might be like. But Ukraine really is a country. It's a country that's wracked by war. I mean, the word Ukraine literally means borderlands. It's between Mother Russia, quote-unquote, and Eastern Europe. And so it stands in this, this cosmic conflict, it seems like, that it's been for hundreds of years. This land has been fought over, and it still is in a time of war. Even as we went in January, the country is at war with Russia. And so it's funny because you look around and you see remnants of Soviet occupation, all these places in Ukraine. This, there's a... a a statue not quite the size of statue, the Statue of Liberty. But this is the statue of the mother of Mother Russia. That's what they call it. And I'm like, I told the person, tell me that. I said, well, wouldn't that make her the grandmother of Russia? So anyway, he didn't, he didn't appreciate that too much. But, but so just recently, even as of 2014, in Kiev, which is the largest city in Ukraine, uh, a tragedy happened called the Euro Maidan. It was it was in this place called Independent Square, and uh, there were there were a hundred people or so that were protesting what was happening in that nation. And so somewhere, some government, and, and they don't even know which government it was. They don't know if it was the government of Ukraine or Russia, but they started uh, just attacking people from from rooftops, and they killed about a hundred individuals, like this boy. Um, you go to you go to Ukraine, you see. A memorial with all these young, I mean, young men, young men who were out protesting peacefully even. And they were killed in this, I mean, in the, key, in the, in the nation, just like going down downtown Jacksonville. It was very interesting to see. In Ukraine, they're very religious is what I found. 
You know, there's a lot of a lot of Orthodox churches. Some of the largest churches are Orthodox churches, and they're beautiful edifices. And you see people going in, and we we had a time of visiting one of the Orthodox churches there in Kiev. And I remember, you know, having people walk up and they would, you know, kiss uh, these paintings of saints who had who had who had died hundreds of years ago. And you know, the biggest thing in the church when he walked in was a painting of the mother of Jesus. Jesus was there. Jesus was celebrated as either, you know, baby Jesus or crucified Jesus. But we saw a lot of the mother, according to them, quote unquote, the mother of God. And, you know, it's sad because I was thinking about Acts 17. I was thinking about, you know, there's a lot of worship going on. It wasn't like they're devoid of worship. They just aren't informed about worshiping the God who's revealed himself in Scripture. They're not informed about worshiping the the crucified Savior who's also risen and wants to have a personal interaction and experience in their own lives, not just some rote religion that they go to. And so our heart was broken a little bit. But So what were we doing there? We were training Christians to, again, take their faces and point them toward the harvest. That's what we were doing. So we stayed in a place that was a converted Olympic center. It was like the largest evangelical center there in Kiev. And so we had a chance to minister to, in one setting, in that particular church, about 40 different pastors who were you know, desiring and wanting a, we want to send missionaries ourselves. That's what we want to do. And so we had the opportunity to train them. And it was awesome to see how attentive they were and how just receptive that they were. That was great. This is a, a picture of Victor. He was... Uh, one of our one of our missionaries that were there, and this is a picture of Victor. The next one, there you go. There's there's Victor. There's Victor. He's like one of those guys. They just come up and give you a big bear hug. He was his job as a missionary was to go to the war torn front front of Ukraine between Ukraine and Russia, and he would go and deliver Bibles, you know, camouflage Bibles, and it, it was it was so cool just to see. What God was doing with all these, you know, emerging, emerging believers, and God is sending out missionaries in Ukraine. I got to speak at this church, and uh, one of the things that was awesome. This is kind of a lost in translation. Has anyone spoken with an interpreter? Pretty sure if you've ever spoken publicly with an interpreter. Okay, so you you can relate to this. So I'm I'm telling a story, and my story is this. I said I said it was it was electric in that place. I was trying to paint a picture of like, you know, just the atmosphere was just like tangible. It was electric. And he, he did his very best to translate. He said, and there was an electrician in the place. <laughs> so, you know, lost in translation a little bit. Uh, this is a, a next one is a, a gentleman by the name of Anton. And he was also an attender for our conference. And he actually was, uh, he and his family had moved and started a rehab center and was working as the director of this rehab center out in the middle of nowhere. And we think Ocean Way is like rural. And this is like, we were driving and driving and driving very fast. And it's like rules were not important. There's no, you know, there's no signs. It's just basically go as fast as you can without dying. That was kind of what we were doing, getting out of this rehab center. But it was so cool to see all these, all these individuals. Ukraine, like Russia, is a place wrecked by addiction racked by addiction. You know, the caricature of Russia, we, we see Russians drinking vodka. Isn't that kind of like our caricature of what Russians do? And it's the same in Ukraine. It's cold. There's a lot of addiction. 
There's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of brokenness in families, a lot of divorce, uh, a lot of lost people. And these were some formerly lost people that came and dedicated themselves to like this program. They could stay a year. Uh, they had a banya, which it was, it was out in the middle of nowhere, a farm. They would do a, uh, a children's camp for the people around them. These, these formerly addicted, law, formerly lost people would do a kid's camp for the community. They weren't professionals. They just loved Jesus. It was so cool to see. They had this thing called a banya there. And I don't know if you've ever, you know, been in a banya. A banya is like a sauna. And what you do is you go in and you, you get, you know, really steamed up. And then you're supposed to go out in the snow and roll in the snow. And so, you know, any good missionary who wants to relate to the culture will do what they do. As long as it's not sinful. So that's what we did. We got in the banya and then we got out in the snow. And it was an incredible experience. So no lie, you need to visit a banya. Um, one of the best places that we ministered in was a, was a gypsy community. Now, there's racial tension. How many know there's some racial tension in, in our country right now, especially? Racial tension in our country. There is, in the same way, there is racial tension in Europe and overseas with gypsies. Gypsies are looked at as like the, the, the bane of society, the dregs of humanity. They're equated with you know, lying and stealing and thievery. And so, you know, when we say, if you were to say you were a gypsy, well, there's automatically a mark against you as a people group, right? And so it was interesting to minister to this gypsy, this gypsy community. I kept on thinking of the, the sinful woman who came in and anointed the feet of Christ. And the religious leaders were like, you know, if you knew who this woman was, you wouldn't allow her to do so. And he said, and he said, you know, don't don't criticize her. She's anointing me for burial. She's doing something purposeful and tangible. She's pouring out her worship on me, essentially. And this this you know gypsy community is getting getting ready to send out missionaries, which is awesome. It's awesome to see. So that's a little bit of a recap of just something that we've done. I'm going to be going back into Ukraine in October, Lord willing. Uh, I'm going, I've been asked to speak at a conference that Ravi Zacharias was also asked to speak at. I'm like, okay, that's great. How many know Ravi Zacharias? You've heard of him before. Okay, yeah, not personally, but you know of him. Yeah, just a great apologist for the gospel. I decided that if I'm there and if he's speaking also, I'm just going to sit at his feet. I don't know. He's just a, an amazing uh, apologist of God, and I'm excited about that. So, um, so this is just an example of some of the things that God is doing. And we're really talking about training up leaders for the harvest. We're really talking about redirecting our focus toward the harvest. You know that in America, you know that we spend more on pet food than we do on missions? I don't know if you knew that. Like, we spend more on our pets. And listen, we want to take care of our animals, of course. But oh my goodness, per capita, we spend more on pets than we do on the lost around the world. That has to change. There's got to be a change there. So I thought about talking with Pastor Micah about the direction of this particular message today. And I really felt like this word stretch came to the surface. He said that we're kind of in a, you know, a stretching time as a church. And I just wanted to just for a few moments just talk about this whole idea of what do we do when we're getting ready to do something of physical value or you know, that's going to be kind of a strain on us physically, what do we need to do? We need to stretch. How many have some kind of regular exercise routine in your life? Raise your hand. Some kind of regular 
exercise routine. Okay, we're going to go ahead and stand up. No, we're not going to do that. We're gonna... <laughs> I should have done that. Okay. But you know before, like, has anyone run the river run before? Anyone run the river run? Okay, a couple of you guys. Okay, okay. Yeah. So we stretch before we go. Before we do something that is, you know, working out, I want to take time and we want to stretch our bodies. Why do we do that? Because it takes preparation. Check this out. So the muscular system of our body is made up of about 700 named muscles. And as a matter of fact, it's, it's like the only thing in our body that allows us to move. Our skeletal muscular system, we couldn't move if we didn't have that. And it takes up about half of our body weight. And here's the, the, the key point there, is that without muscles that are healthy, that are functioning the way God created them to function, we're getting nowhere fast, right? Anybody had any, any you know, muscular issues, muscle pain, muscle stuff, and like you're just trying to move and something is like, you just can't do it. You just can't do it. You've had a big workout, you know, maybe you haven't worked out in a while and you did, you did Zumba for the first time in seven years, Right? And you get up the next day and you're like, oh, oh, I can't even, you know, I can't even pick up my legs to walk. Or someone's trying to give me a high five and I'm like, I just can't do it. Okay. <laughs> We've got to work out our muscles if we are going to do something of value, okay? So check this out. We know this scripture. This is very familiar. But what I want to do today is I want to look at this with, with fresh eyes just a little bit. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, For we are His workmanship. Say workmanship. Workmanship. For we are His workmanship. We were divinely created. We were expertly crafted. We were divinely designed in Christ Jesus for good works. Everyone say good works. For good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were thoughtfully created for these works that are specific, unique, culture-changing, world-impacting, kingdom-advancing works that we should walk in them. But check this out. This is why we're using this muscle analogy. We're supposed to walk in them. And we can't walk effectively unless we've done our preparation. We can't go the long haul without preparation on our part. Now, it says, which God prepared. God has already prepared the good works in advance for us to walk in. So now it's our chance to do our part of getting ready and getting prepared. So let's take a minute before we continue. Let's just take a second and pray. Father, we, we want to hear your voice. God, we believe that every time we open God's word, God, it is, it is you who speak. It is your word. And so we just invite you we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and to breathe life. Come and to, and to stretch our muscles, Father God, in the, in the spiritual, Father God. Well, I pray that you would help us to step out and to do things we never dreamed that we'd be able to do. Because you're motivating us. You're moving us, God. You're giving us the power to do that. In the name of Christ, by the word of God, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Everybody said. Amen. Amen. So there's this thing that I just want to bring to your recollection. How many played high school sports? Raise your if you played or school sports, middle school sports, high school sports. What did you have to do before you were allowed to play? You had, who said that? Right. Good job. Good job. We had to get a physical. 
You had to go in. You had to get this test, this examination to evaluate your readiness. Are you really ready to do this thing? Or, or when we release you to go play baseball, are you going to fall over? Are you ready to do this? So in the same way, let's kind of take this uh, physical this morning of this life in Christ that we have. It's a time of examination. Paul said it like this. I love it. Paul never pulls any punches. He tells it like it is. And I love that about Paul. He said this, examine yourselves. Turn to the person next to you and say, examine yourself. Examine yourself. That was really weak. Turn to the next person and say, you better examine yourself. This, okay, okay, yeah. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Paul said, look, hey, get a, get a checkup. Examine yourselves. Test yourself to see whether you're in the faith. And he goes on in, in Galatians in a, different, in a different scripture. He says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Back in the Old Testament, Jeremiah the prophet, he said it this way, really succinctly, really to the point, he said, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord in Lamentations chapter 3. Let us test and examine our ways and let us return to the Lord. So here's our problem today. Our problem is that we tend to minimize the severity of our condition and we maximize our perspective of our own strengths. Let me put that a different way. We tend to downgrade or minimize like the problems that we have. We tend to minimize, we make minimize our sin sometimes. Oh, that's not a big deal. Oh, everybody does that. Oh, that's just that's just about being human. I'm only human. How many have heard that before? Right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can't, I can't help it. I just had to. You really expect me not to do that? We tend to minimize those things. And we tend to maximize our perspective of our own strengths. And so that's why we tend to walk really close to the line of sin. It's like, okay, I don't want to sin, but I'll walk really close. I'll get right up to the precipice without going over. And I'm okay. That's what we think sometimes. And so we play this little game, and that is the problem. We don't get a real true understanding of our own spiritual health, to put it bluntly. You know, I did that recently in a, in a hike I took. So there's a place called Mount Lacan. Who, who here loves the Smoky Mountains like I do? I just want to know. Okay, oh my goodness. I love, love, love the mountains. Love going to the mountains. I love hiking in the mountains. There's a mountain called Mount Lacan. Has anybody taken that hike in the building? Okay, awesome. Okay, okay, yeah. It's so much fun. We went up by Alum Cave, the Alum Bluffs, and uh, it was a 12-mile hike. And I took my son. My son has a very forced smile there, and I'm sure that Sophie's is completely fake. This was on the way down the mountain. And I learned that on the way up the mountain, it was great. I was totally fine. 
totally great, totally fine on the way up to the mountain. I mean, I'm like, come on, guys, we got to go, and I'm picking them up. And then when we turned around to walk back down, oh, my goodness, there was a problem. My knees were on fire. I mean, the first, I mean, every single step, Sophie was with me, she can tell you the truth. Every single step was, was painful. I'm like, I thought going downhill was going to be the easy part. I thought, I'm going to go downhill. Gravity's taking me. I can just kind of go with it, and I'm okay. As long as I don't fall on my face, I'm all right. But I didn't realize that when you start going downhill, that exercises a different muscle. That's a different part of your body that was out of shape, evidently, in my life. <laughs> going up the mountain was totally fine. I was ready for that. But, you know, going down the mountain, I had not adequately prepared for. And so, you know what? You know what that did? That took us probably twice as long going down the mountain than I expected it to take. And so we ended up walking in the dark. And if you've been with, with only the flashlights on our phones to finish the hike, and we're getting toward the end of the trail, and it's, it's in, a, it's in a, an, a, this forest, and there's no lights. You know, there's no street lights around, and the cars are gone. And so we're stepping out, and, and I say, Josiah, I want you to run. Run to the car. Run to the car and pull it up because we had to park way, you know, far away from the trailhead. Go run and get the car. And so I gave him the keys. I gave him the keys and he started running. And he started running and he said, he said, he heard this little something drop. And he didn't know what it was. And so he kept on running to the car. He ran to the car. He ran to the car. And he got to the car. And he's like, he had the keys. And he, and he tried to find the key to the vehicle that we were driving, and it wasn't on that keychain. Oh, my goodness. We're in the, a trail in the dark. There's no light. And, and so Sophie and I walk out there. We're like, Josiah, why didn't you pull the car up? I can't find the key. What do you mean you can't find the key? <laughs> Are you crazy? It's on the keychain. It's not on the keychain. <laughs> and, so, and so this is what he said. This is what he said. He said, I think I know where it is. I'm like, you think you know where it is? Like, I heard this thing drop when I was running. And so, so we prayed. Let me tell you what. I prayed at that moment with more intensity. I mean, more authority. God, you have got to get us out of this mess right now. I was in pain. I was just wanted to fall over and die. But you know what? He went and God provided a way for him to find that key. And so we're here. Thank the Lord. Okay, let's give him praise. We made it. We made it. But you know what? In the same way, listen, is that we have this, this problem. It's called atrophy. Who's heard of this, this thing before? We get where part of, our, part of our life is atrophied. It could be in the physical. Part of our body that maybe we didn't even know we needed has this symptom called or this condition called atrophy. It's muscular wasting away. It's a gradual decline in effectiveness or vigor due to underuse or neglect. Everyone say neglect. Neglect. It's when, it's when we, we just forget or fail to exercise the way we know we should. And eventually that which is really, you know, big and buff, it just, it goes downhill. I don't know. You know, that's what happens. You know, I've, we've probably, you, you might have met people that, you know, it seems like back in the day, they were like buff. They were muscular. And then you look at them now and you're like, you know, something's different. Can't quite put my finger on, but there's something different. It's because we give up. Why? Because continual exercise it takes 
It takes something of us, okay? It takes discipline of us. So let's check this out. So we're talking about really today spiritual atrophy, spiritual atrophy, okay? And I want to go over a few things about how we can know ourselves if we have this condition, okay? Now listen to this quote. This is a quote actually in a book written by Mac Brunson and Ergen Kainer. And I want you to think about it because I'm going to circle back around to, to, to this author, Ergen Kainer. He said this. He said, like the Israelites, Christians learn that manna, which was fresh and nutritious yesterday, becomes moldy today. Each and every day must be marked by fresh confrontation with the Lord. The sad fact is, listen, that moldy manna is an acquired taste for too many of us. We become complacent in our daily walk with God. Muscles that were at one time pulsing with power have withered toward atrophy. We no longer have the muscles we once had. We become a shadow of our former selves. A shadow of our former selves. There's this group that were around in Jesus' day. We probably all know this group called the Pharisees. The Pharisees were... I, I, I really like this picture of this religious group because I really believe that in Matthew chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 23, which by the way, I want to invite you to turn, if you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, to turn to Matthew chapter 23 because we're going to go through some of this today. It's a great picture of a shell of what life in God is supposed to be. These Pharisees, they of anyone, they had the Scriptures, they had the law, they had... They had everything that they needed, really, to be the leaders, to lead people to Christ. To just like I'm talking about, point people to know God as He has revealed Himself. But they were just a shadow of what a relationship with God is really supposed to be like. And so let's look at this today. A couple of these things. How do you know if you have spiritual atrophy? Number one, you're more focused on how you look than who you are. You're more focused on how you look than who you are on the inside. In Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 2, it says this, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you, observe. And that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. They bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers but all of their works they do to be seen by men. So were the Pharisees doing good things? They were doing good things, but they were doing it with the wrong reason, the wrong motive in their heart. So instead of receiving pleasure in their own lives from just satisfying the Lord and pleasing God with their lives, they settled for the fickle opinion of man. How many of you, in one time in your life, you, you, you played the, the social game? You played the popularity game? Anybody? I did in high school. I played the popularity game. And what I realized is that people, people would accept you, and you know, if you're popular, when you're doing something for them, when you're providing value to them. But you know what? It's not like that, really. It was a fickle, fickle situation. I mean, think about Hollywood today. You know, you're, you're lauded in praise one minute and then everybody shoots you down. You know, when you're in the public eye. It's kind of like that. You know what, and I've learned this, is that even today, social media. How many have some sort of social media account? 
Okay, hey, I'm surprised about how, how many people have some sort of social media. I mean, everyone at least has Facebook, it seems. But think about this now. Think about how much of people's time is focused in on how they're appearing to the world versus how they really are. You know, we don't do that. We don't really show people. We don't, we don't wake up in the morning and take a selfie. You know how you really are. You know, you don't do that. You know, I, I will say, you know, some people air their dirty laundry, which drives me crazy. You know, but I mean, I'll just think about that. Think about how much of the world now is focused on how they look versus who they are. Okay. The second thing is this. You might have spiritual atrophy if you have detrimentally relaxed your personal spiritual disciplines. Detrimentally relaxed your own personal spiritual disciplines. Now, in short, Matthew chapter 6, this is another, another area where he's talking about the Pharisees. And he says this, he says, But you, when you pray, go into your room. When you shut your door, pray to your father who's in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, don't use vain repetitions like the heathen do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. This was the, the, the picture. You know, you have a Pharisee praying openly and, and, and loudly in front of everyone. The Pharisees were praying as long as people were watching them. They were doing what's right. They were, quote, pleasing God, but only when people would lift them up and reward them. And God says this, look, it's about what you do privately. There is nothing that takes the place of personal, intimate Fellowship with God above all else. Above all else. And he doesn't say, you know, if you pray. He doesn't say if you pray. He says when you pray. He doesn't say if you fast. He says when you fast. There's something about our personal, spiritual disciplines. And why do I use discipline? Because it hurts. It hurts sometimes. If you are ADD like me, to pray is a challenge sometimes. You get down on your knees, and you're about to pray, and you're like, you get some notification. You get, you're starting to pray, and then you remember, oh my goodness, I've got to, I've got to go do this and this and this. And so there are, um, how many understand what I'm talking about? Just be honest. Okay, okay, we're in church. Be honest. We get distracted because, listen, I just want to say, but these personal, spiritual disciplines is what stretches us and makes us able to have capacity. It makes us able to do the hard works that God has provided in advance that we do. We can't do the good work if we're not prepared and stretched. Do we understand what I'm saying? Okay, the next thing, real quickly. How do you know if you have spiritual atrophy? You've become consumed with self-preservation instead of self-control. You become consumed with just preserving yourself and making sure that your stuff is all good and your reputation's all good and you forget about character. Character takes a, a, a back seat. This is some of the hardest words for anyone in the whole Bible are written to this Pharisee group. And he says here, starting in verse 25, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside... They're full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. 
He goes on, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but indeed, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. He said, look, Pharisees, on the outside, you wear these robes and you've got everything just perfect. But on the inside, you are without God. On the, on the inside, you, you're, you're empty. You're like full of dead things. You're full of uncleanness. So this morning, if you're, if you're maybe... Just think about that. Examine yourself. Test yourself. Is this, is this true at all of me? Number four, you live in the past. Your greatest feats are behind you. Oh, remember when we did this? Remember when we took that mission trip back in 2001? And man, it was awesome. It was so good. We saw all these people come to Christ. I remember this one boy. It was amazing. And that's great to think about that. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks a lot in the Old Testament, especially about remembering. He said, remember, remember, remember. Altars were built out of remembrance. I mean, whole feasts were done out of remembrance. There's nothing wrong with remembering. But you know what? We remember so that we can do now. We remember so that we can have a foot forward into what God has for us tomorrow and today. One of the big symptoms of spiritual atrophy is if we're living in the past. You know, I've heard it said we can't, we can't go forward. We can't drive forward if we're looking in the rearview mirror. It's the same way. We live in the past. We're not going to be moving forward. In Matthew chapter 23, again, it talks about these Pharisees who would build the tombs of prophets. And they would adorn, they would put like flowers, I suppose. They would, they would adorn these, you know, tombs and, and, and lift them up. And they're always living in the past and not living for what God has them to live for. So consider this real quickly. Today, what happens if we're like that? If we're more concerned about how we look than who we are, if character is taking a back seat in our lives, if we're living in the past, if our spiritual disciplines have honestly, quite frankly, gone out the door, then these are some consequences that can happen. Number one, and honestly, to me, honestly, this is the saddest one to me. You are no longer a contender. You're no longer a contender. Ergen Kainer, I don't know if you guys, anybody know him? Anybody know of, of this gentleman? Okay. Uh, Ergen Kainer was on staff at Liberty University at one time. And he was a great, and is a great speaker. Great speaker. He told a story about how he was raised in, you know, raised overseas uh, by a Turkish family and, and from a Muslim family, from an actively practicing Muslim family. And, you know, and it, he was just a great apologist. And it turned out later on that the man that wrote the quote that I said before about spiritual atrophy actually was lying about his background and lying about how he was raised in a Muslim family. He really wasn't raised in a Muslim family. Um, his, his real name is Mike, you know, Mike Ergen Kainer. Uh, he ended up, you know, getting into some, some moral compromise and, and getting a divorce later on. And, 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 and this man, who in my opinion was one of the greatest speakers and apologists of his time had atrophy in his life. And I just, I feel like we need to, we need to warn ourselves a little bit. It, it could happen to Micah. It could happen to me. It could happen to Kyle. It could happen to you as a leader. It says this. This is what Paul said. He said, but I discipline my body and bring it under subjection, lest when I have preached to others, 
I myself should become disqualified. It's a, it's a fearful thing. It's a fearful thing. I know what it's like to not just have knees that won't go downhill. I know what it's like to have some spiritual atrophy in my life. And I know what it's like to pay a price. I know what it's like to pay the consequence. And listen, brothers and sisters, you don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. Ergen Kainer could have been a major contender in the kingdom of God. And he's, he's, he's speaking and he's doing some things. But man, it's just sad to see what has happened, to be honest. Number two. You have diminished capacity as a consequence of, of living with atrophy. You have diminished capacity. You know, we lose the desire to take on new challenges. We lose the ability to lift what we should lift before. I helped a person move yesterday. Another, another GoTo Nations missionary was over at his house, and we're, we're moving stuff. And I remember starting this process. I'm like, what is wrong with me? What is, what's the matter with me? Like, I was like really looking forward to, you know, getting in there and let's just go. And I was like, oh, oh, this is different than I remember, you know? It's just like just recently I've, I've, I'm looking at my phone and I'm like with my glasses on. I'm like, wait a second. I can't see up close like I used to see up close. So I'm like going like this. What, like, what is wrong with me, Pastor Micah? I don't know. I don't know, these things naturally, they naturally happen. So here's what I'm saying. As we live our lives, even as believers, if we do not consistently exercise spiritually, we will have diminished capacity. We won't be able to do what we used to do. We won't be able to look at those challenges. You know, I mean, the church is, is growing and moving and and God is doing great things, but I'll tell you what, is that we're not going to be able to take the mountain that God wants us to take if we're not ready, if we have diminished capacity. Faith challenges, sin challenges. We like desire to take on new challenges when we have diminished capacity. The, the Bible says this in Matthew chapter 5. We all know this verse. You're the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And lastly, the last consequence, and this is really, really the worst, is that we're headed for disaster. We really are. If we just keep in this state of immobility, if we keep in this state of being a couch potato, being lazy, not doing what we need to be doing, not getting ourselves prepared, then we're going to Head for disaster. And in Revelation chapter 3, we know this verse. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were hot or cold. But because you're lukewarm and neither one, I'm going to vomit you in my mouth is what, is what Christ spoke to a church. He wasn't speaking that to an unbelieving community. He was speaking that to a church like the church I go to and, and, and this church and the other church right up the road. He's speaking to people who are supposed to love Jesus. He's speaking to people that are supposed to be able to be an example to their world, but instead they had become of diminished capacity. Instead they were neither cold nor hot, not useful anymore. So here's the bottom line today. 
And in order for us as individual believers, as well as a church body to thrive in this new season, is that we have got to learn to overcome spiritual atrophy. You know, the Bible says this. It says this phrase. It says that times of refreshing would come. There's, there's something scriptural about times of refreshing in the Lord. And if you're in leadership for any amount of time, you're going to go through cycles. You're going to see up times and you're going to see down times. You're going to see things when it's like, man, this is just a fresh, it's just electric. Anyway, sorry. Okay. Things are awesome. And then you're going to see times where like, you're just like trudging through. We're just getting through. And if we just show up, we've accomplished a lot. Okay? I understand that. We get that. We get that. But listen, I believe that refreshing is coming. I believe that refreshing is on its way. And if it is, if we're going to be ready to do what God wants us to do, we've got to examine ourselves and see, do we have this condition? Is there any part of my life? Is there any part of the, the muscles I'm supposed to have? How's my outreach? How's my passion for the lost? How's my involvement in what God is doing overseas? How's my love for my neighbor? How's my love for my family? How's my character? Three things I want to leave with you real quickly is what to do. Where can we start? First, we've got to be willing to look in the mirror. We've got to be willing just to, just to look and just be willing to take a long, hard look and go, okay, what's really happening with my life? The psalmist said, search me, O God. Examine me. See if there's any wicked way in me. Search me. Again, we've, we've talked about this verse, examine me. There's something about that, that. I'm not talking about beating yourself up. There's a difference between asking God to examine you and just, you know, saying, oh, I'm a terrible person. I'm just worthless. God can't ever use me. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying, church. Let me just say this. To be very honest and, and to be very frank, I remember in, in preparing for this message, actually a couple weeks ago, in preparing for this message, I remember on, being on my knees in my living room, and, and I'm like, God, I think there's some area that, that there's atrophy that I need you to work on. And guess what? You know what I didn't sense from God? I didn't sense condemnation. I didn't sense that. I didn't sense that He was there going, you know, trying to, you know, slap me or beat me up. You know what I felt? I felt Hope. That's what I felt. So that's what I want to communicate to you. Hope. There's hope. When we look in the mirror and see what's wrong, oh, that's what's wrong. I didn't know what was keeping me back. Oh, that's it. How many, have how many have had a problem with your car and you take it to a mechanic, and an honest mechanic, and the honest mechanic points out something that you didn't know existed and your car got better and things were good? Okay, you've been there. I've been there. In the same way, that's what we're praying for. When we know what's going on, when we have an awareness, it's like we can present that to God and He can take care of it. Amen. Number two, we've got to be willing to feel the burn. Everybody say, feel the burn. Turn to the person next to you and say, feel the burn. Feel the burn. We've got to be willing to feel the burn. Listen, when you start stretching muscles that are previously unstretched, there's a burning that takes place. Right? I mean, just try it. You know, try to, try to do something, you know, stretch something that's like, I don't want to 
split something. No lie, there was a time when I was teaching at Providence School, had just started teaching, right? And so I was uh, 27, something like that. And, and I remember being excited about something. And I remember, you know, I dropped my expo marker. And I, and I, I reached over to pick it up. And then, and I, and I ripped. And I'm not going to do that this morning, I promise, okay? But we've got to be willing to feel the burn. And that's what happens because stretching is not always fun. It's not always enjoyable. You know, when there's, a, when there's something fun that we want to do as a church and there's a, you know, an evangelistic opportunity that we're really looking forward to or there's a, a beach trip or there's you know, a, an overnight stay or something like that or, or a fellowship where we're going to play phase 10 or something, we get, we get excited about that. But when it's like, we're going we're gonna to have a prayer time for three hours. It's like, ooh, oh. Or when we have, you know... Um, David Platt's Secret Church. You know, I'm not sure if we still do that here, but man, I love, I look forward to that. It hurts. It hurts at 10.30. You're like, oh my goodness, my hand's going to fall off right here. Okay. It hurts, but it's good because good is being done when the burn is going on. Your muscles are being stretched so that you can have a greater capacity. And the third thing is this, be willing to begin the process. Be willing to begin the process. The Bible says, so take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Just start. Just begin somewhere. If, you know, we're all called, listen, each believer in this room, and I, I want to I look at your eyes for a quick second if that's okay. I was talking to Pastor Mike about how many of us here are, are, are connected in a significant way in either prayer, giving, or going to the global harvest. And, I, and, and he gave me a percentage. And it was a good percentage. It wasn't 100%, though. It wasn't 100%. And listen, I want you to understand this. Every member is a minister. Every member is a minister. If you are a believer in Christ, guess what? The Great Commission is for you. The Great Commission's for you. You've got a role to play. Your role may be to go with Pastor Micah to India. Your role may be to give and help him go. Your role may be to lift his arms up in prayer. There's a role that you have to play. And if you're not playing that, maybe that's a first step for you. How can I get a part of what God is doing in the world? Because you know what? The Great Commission is for me because I'm a Christ follower. Maybe it's a sin that, you know, is coming to the surface. It's resonating. You're like, you know, I've got to, I've got to give this up. This is going to keep me back. I cannot go to the next place that God wants me to go if I've still got this sin holding me back. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe there's people you just don't want to forgive. Maybe they're in this room. Maybe, you know what, Christians, we, we offend each other sometimes. And it's so sad because the Bible says we're not, we're not supposed to be easily offended. But sometimes the hardest place for someone to come is someone who's been offended at church. Maybe it's, maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's, it's reaching out to your coworkers, and And you know that you're supposed to tell them about Christ, but you haven't mustered the courage. Maybe you've gone overseas, but you won't go across the room. So think about that today. Where is there in our lives that we need to to get right? Where is there a place where we need to strengthen ourselves? Let's pray. Let's pray.
Pastor Mike, would you pray for us? Appreciate it. We want to go ahead and ask you to stand and call the musicians uh, forward. And about to enter a time of invitation. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you now. God, asking you in this moment, Lord, stretch us. God, stretch your people like never before. God, we don't want to be useless. We want to be useful. We don't want to be on the sidelines watching, just giving our input or even our criticism. God, we want to be in the game. We want to be in the game, God, being a part of your mission. Your mission here, God, to impact our community and your mission to the ends of the earth. God, stretch us, we pray. God, I pray right now, Lord, whatever you're doing in hearts and lives across this room, God, make us obedient to you. And Lord, at the same time, God, prepare us for what's coming as we're about to celebrate communion. Lord, we don't want to approach this table in an unworthy manner. We don't want to do this as if it's just a ritual that we have to do, God. We do this, what we're about to do in a few minutes, we do it in remembrance of you. That Jesus, you lived a life that we could never live. You died a death for the sins of the world that we could never die, and you conquered an enemy, the grave, that we could never conquer. There's life in you. There's freedom in you. God, help us today, Lord, to be free to do whatever it is that you're calling us to do. Your word says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom, God. Give us freedom in this moment to do whatever it is that you're calling us to do, God. Lord, help us to stop playing games. Help us to stop going through the motions. Help us to stop considering ourselves out of the game. Lord, help us to realize, as Jeremy said, Lord, there is hope when we find ourselves face to face with you. For there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Finish this time, oh God, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.